What's up, everybody? This is Pastor James, and welcome back to the Midweek Bible Study. We are starting chapter 10 today, as Paul is continuing on in his desire to be a spiritual leader and an apostle to the church in Corinth. Now, he is warming or warning, excuse me, them against idolatry as he uses a fascinating example as we start off the first half of this chapter today. So let's read this together. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. Read with me. It says, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food, and all of them drank the same spiritual water, for they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them. That rock was Christ. Yet God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. These things happened as a warning to us so that we would not crave evil things as they did, or worship idols as some of them did. As the scriptures say, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. And we must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. Nor should we put Christ to the test as some of them did and then died from snake bites and don't grumble as some of them did and then we were destroyed by the angel of death. These things happened to them as an example for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. So, my dear friends, flee from the worship of idols. You are a reasonable people. Decide for yourselves if what I am saying is true. When we bless the cup of the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? And when we break the bread, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? And though we are many, we all eat from one loaf of bread, showing that we are one body. Think about the people of Israel. Weren't they united by eating the sacrifices at the altar? Okay, we're going to stop right there. Now, if you remember from last week at the end of chapter 9, Paul talked about running the race with purpose at the very end. Um, you got to run the race to win, and you got to train so that we do not become disqualified in our efforts as we serve Christ. Now, one of the most terrifying things to me is that um, I would do all this work, I would serve, I would give up some hopes and dreams in my life and uh, serve in the church and do the ministry of Christ and then stand before him and be disqualified of anything would be just heart-wrenching. And so Paul talks about that a little bit, um, how we need to make sure that we're doing everything we can to prepare ourselves to be ready and to be legitimate in our service of Christ. Now, um, so as we start off in chapter 10, Paul takes this congregation from uh, Corinth on a history lesson, and he looks back to the people of Israel as they exited the bondage of slavery in Egypt, and they passed through the wilderness of Sinai, and they're on their journey to the promised land. Again, this is just kind of a notable reference that uh, links the fact that there would have been a lot of Jewish believers um, inside this congregation that would identify with the story. And while they were of Jewish descent, it was the same people in Corinth that were struggling with keeping their hearts pure towards God 
and their newfound salvation. And so the story about Israel in the wilderness is very fitting for these people because the people in Corinth have experienced something really wonderful, salvation, things like that. And yet they were struggling with staying faithful to God. And the people in the wilderness of Sinai had experienced some amazing things, probably the most amazing things in all of history. And yet they were struggling remaining faithful to God. So the Israelites, let's talk about the Israelites in the Old Testament. Now this is basically Exodus, um, what they experienced. It, It really is probably the most amazing events that have ever happened in world history. I mean... The fact that God freed them from the Egyptians and he led them to the promised land in such an amazing way. I mean, they were personally guided by God. And Paul says they were baptized in the cloud and the waters of the Red Sea. Uh, They parted the Red Sea. They all ate the same spiritual food from heaven. They drank from the same spiritual water that poured from the rock. And in fact, it was Christ that was the one providing for his people all along, even though the people of Israel didn't realize that it was Christ. And I think this is very interesting to consider as we look back on the story that Christ is really not given credit in the book of Exodus. I mean, there are so many things about the Exodus story that when you look back at it and you study it, that it parallels the life of Christ. I mean, the whole aspect of the sacrificial offerings, um, the, uh, the death of the firstborn son, um, all, all those things parallel with the life of Christ. And so looking back on it as a Christian, you can see how Christ is very much in it. But when Moses is writing this um, information down, you know, Christ really doesn't get credit. He, he only talks about God, but Christ is very much there. Christ is God, and Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. And so now that we look back on it, we can very much see Christ being there. But during that time... You know, I don't think Moses and the people of Israel really realized uh, what was going on with the presence of Christ being among them during this time. So, uh, you know, as a follower of Christ, when you look back, it makes perfect sense, even though for them it may not have made much sense at the time. And that's why you don't see Christ mentioned in the Old Testament. But while the Israelites had all these amazing spiritual blessings, and this is just something to contemplate on today, um, they were still rebellious. I mean, they saw, oh man, they saw the most amazing things you could ever imagine. Um, and they were still rebellious against God, and God was displeased with them. And this is why that whole generation had to pass in the wilderness before God would allow the younger generation to move into the promised land. And their rebellion had angered God to the point of deserving punishment. Now, Paul suggests that all of these things happened and were recorded by Moses as a warning that the future generations would not make the same mistake. And the church is included in those future generations. Um, So they celebrated. Now, this is the people of Israel. They celebrated and indulged in idol worship and sinfulness. This was something the Corinthians were also struggling with. And after all the experience, there was still a desire to turn away from God. I mean, the church in Corinth is experiencing wonderful and amazing things too. Um, you got to think about this. Despite their salvation, despite the receiving of their spiritual gifts, despite the, um, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, um, despite being poured into by the apostles who ministered to them, they still wanted to deviate from God and go back to the sin of the people that were surrounding them. And it cost 
the people of Israel, and it's going to cost the people of Corinth if they don't get this thing straightened out. <clears throat> and in fact, you know, Paul even references the sexual sin that the people of Israel fell into in the wilderness, and it caused 23,000 of them to die. And one of the main sins that the people of Corinth are struggling with is sexual immorality. So, now I want to take a look, I want to take a short time to address this because uh, I, I have a lot of conversations with people about Scripture and how you know they just have a hard time understanding the God of the Old Testament, and that's a common reference. And I always try to encourage people and remind them that the God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament, and there's really no difference between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. But people read the Old Testament and they have a hard time with this, what seems to be a very harsh, judgmental, angry, and vengeful God that you don't really see in the New Testament. Well, I just want to give you a short analogy that I always give a lot of people. Now, if you're a parent, you will definitely understand this. But if you're not a parent, then one day when or if you become a parent, you most definitely will understand this. But as a parent, you love your children more than anything else in the world, and it's really hard to explain and understand that, but you give all that you have to them. Um, you go to work. You work long hours to get money. You spend all of that money on them, and so you spend your time working to get money, and then even after you spend all your money on them, all your extra time, now you're spending with the kids, so really all of your time is spent for your children in a lot of ways. Um you're trying to make sure they get educated. You're trying to make sure they stay healthy. Everything you do is for their benefit. And one day, you probably hope to have enough money on hand extra to leave them a good inheritance. Once you die and you leave them with this inheritance that they can hopefully sustain themselves through the rest of their lives and even into the next generations. But um, you constantly worry about your children. Everything they do and everything you do is so that they will prosper and benefit. Now... As a parent, if you've ever experienced this, you will understand how mad it can make you that you do all this for them, and they really just don't understand what you do. They don't understand the sacrifice, and they really never will until they become a parent. But the kids may make comments like, Oh, you, you hate me. You're just trying to make me miserable. You don't ever give me anything. You're mean to me. You just want me... You don't want me to have any fun. You just don't want me to have any friends and you just don't want me to to have someone else who loves me and, and in those moments of your own flesh and blood accusing you of these ridiculous things there's something inside of you that really just wants to grab them by the neck and shake them I mean you, you know you want to beat them into submission in these times and some of you may have even had the thought of you little jerk you know I brought you into this world and I can take you out of it and so there's just an anger that wells up in you because you know you're giving more to them than you have anything else in this life. Even to yourself, you're giving more to them than you've ever given to yourself, and they just cannot see it, and they don't understand it. Now, imagine how God felt after he sent Moses and the ten plagues, and he spared the firstborn son of the people of Israel, and he devastated the Egyptian people with those plagues, and he freed the people of Israel from captivity, guided them with the cloud during the day and the pillar of fire at night, and he parted the Red Sea, and he swallowed up the Egyptian army, and he gave them food every single day. He gave them drink every single day. He made a holy covenant with them that he gave them a choice to make, 
a covenant that he did not force them into. He gave them the opportunity to not do this, and they chose to do it. And even after they made this covenant, less than 40 days later, they had already rebelled and sinned against him and made their own idol and worshipped it. And they were constantly turning against God. They constantly rebelled and engaged in pagan sinfulness. And they made their own idols and worshipped them. And they deviated from God. And These people saw the most amazing things that have ever happened on earth. And yet it still wasn't good enough to keep them faithful to God. They still rebelled. Multiple times. And that's just crazy when you think about that. I mean, think about a child who just doesn't get it. Uh, You know, what do you do with them? And so for God to do all those things for them and for him to be angry and decide to wipe those people out and punish them and constantly try to steer them back into the direction of following him, I believe he had every right to do that. Because as a parent, I love my children, and it is my job, it is my responsibility, it's my calling in life to make sure that they are doing right. That as long as I'm able to influence them, that I influence them to do right. And sometimes I may have to be a little more forceful than others and use punishment as a way to steer them in the right direction. And just because I punish them, I may spank them and I may hurt them. You know, I may physically hurt them when I spank them. It stings. You know, they don't like it. They cry. Sometimes it just hurts their feelings more than it hurts their their bottoms. But it's my responsibility to love them enough to bring about pain in order to steer them in the right direction. And that's a good thing. And I think whenever God decides that he's ready to punish people, he has every right to do so. Because especially for the people of Israel... They should have known more than anybody how serious God is because they've watched what he did to the Egyptians and they watched all the amazing things he did for them and yet they still wondered. So, as a result, we should learn from these people and not put Christ to the test. The people of Israel lost that battle before and we should not make the same mistake as them. We shouldn't be grumbling or arguing or complaining These things, Paul says, these things were written down so that we do not make the same mistakes as those people did. But that's easier said than done. So in verses 12 and 13 are two of the most prominent verses that are quoted to people who are struggling with temptations in their life. And they should be because these are great verses. And if you're listening today and you're struggling with temptation, you should memorize verses 12 through 13 and recite them to yourself constantly. And in the moment of temptation, you should quote these to yourself. Because if you think that you're strong or holy or if you're doing a great job, then you need to be careful that you just may stumble if you let your guard down and you become prideful in your own ability to resist temptation. So don't be too proud prideful. Don't be too arrogant. Be careful. We should talk to others and confess our sins to one another. And this is important in the whole healing process of of spiritual healing and forgiveness. But I do encourage you to be careful and have some rules with that. Don't share your temptations and struggles with people of the opposite sex unless it's your spouse. You, You shouldn't be sitting down having conversations with Uh, a person of the opposite sex who is married or even isn't married 
um, just because that's kind of a, it's really kind of an intimate bonding that you have with one another. And if that's not your husband or wife, you probably shouldn't be having that moment with them. You also got to be careful um, not to confess your sins to people who are not of the utmost spiritual quality. And, and you have to be careful because not all people are godly. Not all people are trustworthy. Not all people have your best interest in mind. And so you need to make sure that the person that you are going to share these things with loves Jesus Christ to their utmost and tries to honor God in everything they do because if they love God, then they will inevitably love you. And that's super important to understand that they're not going to tell other people what you're going through because you don't want the world to know what you're struggling with. But it is good for you to talk to someone about what you're struggling with so they can help you be accountable. So be careful in that. But verses 12 through 13 are vital because... They help us understand that we're all enduring temptations. We all serve a God who is faithful. And Paul says that he will not allow us to be overcome by temptations. It will never be more than we can say no to. And you got to remember that we serve a God that gives us free will. And he allows us to exercise that free will that he so willingly gives us. And everything in our life is a choice. And, and nothing will be so strong that we could not resist it. That we could never choose not to do it. And that's important for us to remember. We have to have faith and believe that God will honor that, that he's not going to allow us to endure something that we cannot say no to because we serve a God who allows us to have free will. We freely choose him. We freely don't choose him. We freely choose to sin or we freely choose not to sin. And, and Jesus is the one who gives us the power to overcome those temptations. And that's important to remember. Nothing will be so strong, and you have to have faith in God. And God will also provide a way out. Jesus will give you the strength. You don't have the strength to do it on your own, but thankfully we serve a God who is stronger than the one that tempts us. Now in verse 14, Paul encourages the people of Corinth to flee from worshiping idols. Now we're getting to the end of the half that we read. And this is dangerous, and it puts you in danger when you rebel against our Heavenly Father. And he uses the concept of unity to support this. You know, the Lord's Supper brings about unity. The blessing of the cup, the breaking of bread from one loaf, and even the people of Israel that ate from the sacrifices of the altar. Everyone doing something together brings about unity, and we're all united by what we do. And idol worship unites people in sin, and that's what we will talk about next week as we study the last half of the chapter, because when people start engaging in sin and it becomes a unified thing, it's really hard to come back from that. And this is what Paul is warning against, because the church in Corinth has really kind of giving, they've given in to their temptations as a unified group, and that's super dangerous, all right? So before we leave today, before we pray, I just want to ask you this question. You know, what are you doing? What are you engaging in your life? Are you seeking Christ with all you are? Are you struggling with temptations and sin? I just want to remind you guys, you know, Scripture says time and time again, it's all a choice. There's nothing in this life that you can't choose or not choose. You know, everything comes with a price. It never said it was going to be easy. But Paul did remind us that it's never going to be too hard 
for us to endure. That through the help of Christ, we can overcome anything. And we've got to have faith in that. So I encourage you to step out on faith. Remind yourself. Remember and memorize verses 12 through 13. And quote that to yourselves anytime that you're tempted. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for this opportunity to be called your sons and daughters. I pray that you would speak into our hearts and lives. Help us to live for you and serve you in all that we do. We love you and we just thank you so much for all you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys. Hope you have a great week. We love you. We're praying for you. We hope to see you on campus this weekend. If not, catch us on Facebook, YouTube, or the podcast. As always, we love you. Have a great week.